Amen. What a blessing it is to be in the Lord's presence this morning. You know, Scripture tells us that after Moses was in the presence of God, he came down off of the mountain and his face was glowing because he had been in the presence of God. And I don't know if your face is glowing this morning, uh, but I sure hope and pray that your heart is glowing as we have been spending time in the presence of God today. You know, one of the world's most beloved works of art is called the Moses. And the Moses is a sculpture created by Michelangelo. Now that's Michelangelo the artist, not Michelangelo the Ninja Turtle for all the kids that are out there, okay? The Moses was a statue that, uh, that, that Michelangelo the artist sculpted and it was commissioned by the Catholic Church in 1505 and, and the sculpture was based on a passage in Exodus 34 that tells us about the glowing face of Moses when he came off of that mountain. Now, uh, now, in Exodus 34, it tells us that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. But you see, in the Hebrew, the word that is translated there in the English as, as shone or shined or glowed in some translations, that word in the Hebrew, uh, if it was just changed just a little bit, it could actually say, the Hebrew could tra translate it as horns. And so that word really could be translated as, as, as glowing or having horns. And in those days, the Catholic Church used the Latin Vulgate translation, and in the Latin Vulgate, it translates that Hebrew word as horns. And Michelangelo, working from that translation, misunderstood one word, and, and he created this wonderful, beautiful masterpiece of art of Moses sitting there, looking determined and focused and hopeful, all the while with horns on his head. You know, most Hebrew scholars would say that that is a mistranslation, uh, that the Latin Vulgate is wrong in that translation. But, but here's the deal. <clears throat> Context is everything. Michelangelo's Moses is still an artistic masterpiece, but listen, it serves as an example uh, of how important it is for believers to strive to understand the Bible as accurately as possible through the lens of historical, cultural, and linguistic context. <clears throat> this morning, we're going to look at a passage uh, in the book of Revelation as we begin to look at this last letter that Jesus wrote to the church of Laodicea. This is a letter that Jesus wrote to them. And, and as we do that, we're going to dive into the culture of Laodicea in 90 AD. And we're going to see that as we read a very familiar verse, a very familiar passage with just a few verses here, we're going to see that the desire of Jesus in this passage is that his followers would pursue his purposes. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to read just to verse 16 as we begin looking at this letter to Laodicea. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says... 
I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God, the word of Jesus here in this text. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand as accurately as possible the heart of what you are saying to us through this passage this morning. We pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you're like me, you've probably heard that passage preached a lot over the years. You know, and typically when someone preaches that passage, uh, they, uh, uh, they reference this passage. They, they, they talk about the hot and the cold and the lukewarm. And they'll commonly say that it means something like this. They'll say, hey, you know what this means? This means that God wants you to be uh, so completely on fire for Him. And, and by the way, I, I do believe that that is true. God does want us to be on fire for Him. But they'll say, hey, God either wants you to be so completely on fire, so completely pursuing Him, or He doesn't want anything to do with you at all. And that, that, that He wants you to be fully hot. He wants you to be hot for Him, fully submitted to Him, or He wants to be cold towards Him. And that cold really means that, that you don't have anything to do with Him. Well, if you don't have anything to do with God, what that means is that you're rebellious and, and you're away from God and you're having nothing to do with God. They'll say that the lukewarm reference has to do with people who are maybe just partially committed to Christ, but not completely committed to Him. And because of that, Jesus will reject those who are not completely committed to Him. Listen, if you're from a denomination, or if you've ever been around a, a denomination, or someone has a denominational background that believes that you can lose your salvation. Now, Southern Baptists, we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. That if you are saved, that you are always saved. Because Scripture tells us, that salvation is something that is kept in heaven by the power of God for those who are, who are in faith in Christ. And that, that inheritance that's kept for you, it will never spoil, perish, or fade. But if someone believes that they can lose their salvation, they'll, they'll go to this passage and they'll say, hey, this lukewarm person, this is an example of somebody who has lost their salvation. Now, now listen, I, I want you to understand this morning that while I can understand where people can, can, can get that idea, I want you to understand this morning that I do not believe that either one of those things is true. I, I do not believe that, that this is a passage that, that, that tells us that you can lose your salvation, but I also do not believe that this passage really has to do with the intensity with which we pursue God, with the intensity in which we love God in that, you know, you know, you're either on fire or you're either cold or you're lukewarm or whatever that might be. But I can see how easy it is to read this passage and to, uh, and, and to get that idea. Think about it like this. Of course God wants us to be on fire for Him. Listen, I believe that is absolutely true. You can see that in Scripture. God wants you to be fully committed to Him. No doubt about that. 
But there is no circumstance in Scripture where God would ever desire for somebody to be rebellious against Him in that cold sense. So if, so if you're saying you either got to be on fire or not, you know, not involved at all, I, I don't believe that that would be an accurate and a, 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 a scripturally accurate understanding of this passage. But as you, as you study this passage, what you realize is that hot, cold, and lukewarm, and some of the other things that you see in this letter to Laodicea, there, there are some, there's some jargon here that you may not understand if you didn't live in Laodicea in 90 AD. You know, when Leah and I moved to Memphis in 2012, well, we were, we're in the Memphis area. We didn't live in Memphis, but we began to learn the jargon and, and the terms that they used in Memphis or even what they call the Mid-South area. I, I cannot tell you how many times I heard somebody reference 201 Poplar. People would say, whatever you do, you don't want to end up at 201 Poplar. We'd be driving down the road and there would be a radio broadcast. The news would come on and it would say, Trouble today, down at 201 Poplar. This happened at 201 Poplar. You know, you would hear somebody say, Well, so and so, you know, so and so did this or they did that. And you know where they are? They're at 201 Poplar. And we thought, Boy, 201 Poplar must be a really bad part of town. We lived there a year, year and a half before we realized that 201 Poplar was the address to the jail. Okay, In Memphis, on the news, on the radio, or just in, in your interaction with people, if they say 201 Poplar, they're talking about the jail. And more often than not, if they were talking about someone going to jail or they were talking about the problems at the jail, they would say 201 Poplar. Poplar, and so those are things that that you just would not understand if you didn't live there. You know, when we moved back out here, we found out that here in the Perry County area, there are a lot of the Doty family. Uh, there's a lot of Dodies around here, uh, really everywhere throughout Perry County. They've been here for a long time. It took me a while <clears throat> to figure out what a Doty was. Now, I remember Miss Ann Adams coming up to me at one point and she asked me if I knew any Dodies. Now, it didn't take me quite as long to figure that out as it took us to figure out the 201 Poplar thing when we were in Olive Branch and in the Memphis area. But when she asked me if I knew any Dodies, I, I instantly thought, well, she could be talking about a family, but also there is a context where that kind of sounds like maybe a uh, uh, people that, that enjoy baking, you know, some sort of baking group. You have foodies, <laughs> you have trekkies. It would make sense that someone that liked to bake or eat baked goods would be a doty. Now, of course, it didn't take me very long to figure out that that was her maiden name, but you could see how that would make sense from somebody coming from the outside. You know, it's interesting, uh, whenever we were uh, living in Olive Branch, Leah worked at one of the schools there uh, at Lewisburg High School there in Olive Branch. Now, Olive Branch is divided up into several different areas, and Lewisburg was one of those areas, and, and Leah worked at Lewisburg High School, and so I got a lot of Lewisburg shirts, and there are a few of them that I still wear every once in a while 
uh, even today. And if I put one of those shirts on and I walk around here in Perryville or in Perry County or in Conway County near Moralton, you know, I always get these double looks as, as uh, people see my shirt. I mean, they're used to seeing shirts uh, from Perryville High School and Bigelow High School and Conway High School and Moralton High School. You see those shirts in this area quite a bit, but you don't see any Lewisburg High School shirts. So when they'll look at that shirt, and I'll have a shirt on that says, straight out of the Berg or Lewisburg High School, you know, this event, that event. They look at it, and when they see Lewisburg, they do a double take. Because, because out here, not only is there not a high school called Lewisburg High School, but there is a community called Lewisburg out on the river. Uh, and if you look at Wikipedia, Wikipedia says that it's not much more than a ghost town today. So you can understand why when they look at me uh, walking around in my Lewisburg shirt, they're thinking, what is that about? They're trying to figure out, did there used to be a school there in Lewisburg? That you can see the wheels turning, but when you understand my history and where I've been, where I came from, well, that makes perfect sense. And so this morning, in order to understand that hot and cold stuff, we really need to understand the circumstances of Laodicea and, and the circumstances and the culture in which the people lived. Um, whenever we look at Laodicea, we understand that Laodicea is a very important city in Asia Minor, as was most of the, the cities where the churches are, the seven letters of Revelation. Uh, but one of the things that's important about Laodicea that's important for us to understand here today is that Laodicea was surrounded by a couple other cities that were particularly important to Laodicea and the Laodiceans. Um, one of those cities was a city to the north known as Heropolis. In those days, it was known as Heropolis. Heropolis was significant to the Laodiceans for several, re for, for several reasons, but I want to tell you about a couple. Number one, it would have been significant to them because of its naturally hot springs. You see, the water would pull up on the sides of the Taurus Mountains there in Horopolis, and it was naturally hot water, just like the, the hot water that comes out of the hot springs here in Arkansas. And, and just like the hot springs in Hot Springs, Arkansas became famous for its it's, uh, it's hot waters, naturally hot water in the 1800s. The hot springs of Horopolis were well known in 90 AD. Remember, this was a time before hot water heaters, okay? This was a time before, before getting in a, in a whirlpool or a hot tub. This was a, this was a day before you could just go and turn on a certain uh, knob and get hot water right out of your faucet at home. This was before all of that, in a, in a day before art, artificially heated water, if you had an, uh, an ailment, a, a medical condition, uh, if you had uh, something like arthritis, you would travel, if you had the means to do so, you would travel to Heropolis to bathe there in the hot waters. And so the Laodiceans knew that the hot water of Heropolis had a medicinal purpose. It had a specific and well-known 
purpose. The second reason Hierapolis would have been important to the Laodiceans, uh, and, and another reason why it would be relevant to this conversation, is not just because of the temperature of the water, but because of what was in the water. And as you see uh, one of the pictures uh, on the screen, uh, you're going to see a picture here of the Taurus Mountains, and you're going to see the, the, the pools on the side of the Taurus Mountains there in modern-day Turkey, where you can go today, you can travel there today and take a bath in those naturally hot springs, those naturally hot pools. And you're going to see that's a beautiful sight, but you're going to see what looks like snow around that mountain. If you look at that, boy, that looks, it looks really neat. From, from our perspective not being there, it looks like that this is a, a, a polar or an arctic environment, but, but in reality, the white stuff you see on the mountains, that is not snow. What that is is calcium deposits, mineral deposits, the buildup of the mineral from the mountains there. And so uh, what would happen is that the water would run down the water, some of the water coming through the mountains into the pools and spill off. But of course, when it would rain, the rain would come down and pour down off of that mountain and drain into the rivers below. And uh, some of those rivers were the, the ones that supplied Laodicea with their drinking water. Now, Laodicea was an interesting city because it had a, a, a very elaborate, for the time, uh, aqueduct system. Okay, And this aqueduct system would pipe the water in from the river and it would pipe it over to Laodicea. And so the water, when it would, when it would begin, most of it was warm and hot coming out of those springs and down that mountain. And of course, by the time it traveled to Laodicea, it was lukewarm because it had mixed with cold water already running in the river below. And of course, by the time it traveled, it, the, it would cool off a little bit. So it was known as the lukewarm water. That's the lukewarm water that was running through their pipes. But, but what was significant about that as well is that that lukewarm water had a really horrible taste. It had a, 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 a really concentrated mineral taste because of the calcium that was in the water. And, and when the aqueducts had been built in the beginning, of course, you know, it transported that water and, and you couldn't taste the mineral quite as much uh, because it had diluted a little bit as it came into, uh, into, came into Laodicea. But over time, the aqueduct pipes had begun to calcify and that, those minerals began to build up on those pipes. And so that water, which was diluted a little bit, not only in, in, in its temperature, but it was diluted a little bit in that horrible mineral taste, uh, it was beginning to taste worse and worse and worse as it would come through those pipes that were filled with that calcium that had deposited over time. And so, so listen, you could drink the water. Many of the people that lived in Laodicea, they were used to the water, but, but it didn't taste good at all. They knew that, uh, that, that, that people didn't like that water. They didn't like that water. If they had the means, they would get their water from somewhere else. If they had an honored guest that came to town, they would not have given them the lukewarm water out of the, out of the pipes of Laodicea because it would have been repulsive. In that case, what they would have done 
is they would have went uh, southeast just a little bit from Laodicea to uh, another town that many of you will be familiar with, the town of Colossae. Colossae is the same place where, uh, where Paul writes the letter, well, he, he writes the letter to the Christians in Colossae, the, the book of Colossians, written to the Christians in Colossae. And so you're familiar with Colossae. One of the things you may not know about Colossae is Colossae had, had a, an amazing uh, source of fresh water that was good for the Laodiceans. What they would do is they would truck in water from Colossae. Uh, there were mountains and hills in Colossae that, Colossae that would feed the streams below. Uh, it was, there was a lot of limestone there, so as the water would come through the hills and the mountains and the rocks there at Colossae, it was filtered by that natural limestone and dumped out into the streams below where people could get to it. And what it would provide was fresh, clean, cold, thirst-quenching Water, and, and so in verses 15 and 16, when Jesus says, I know your works, now keep in mind, Jesus is talking about the things that they do. He says, I know what you're doing. I, I know what you're up to. And he's not necessarily saying, I know all the bad things you're doing. He says, I know your works. Some of what they were doing probably was good. But he says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Hot and cold and lukewarm here is not a reference to the intensity with which a believer loves God. Instead, hot and cold and lukewarm are all about purpose. It's all about purpose. You see, the hot water from Heropolis had a purpose. The cold water from Colossae, it had a purpose, but the lukewarm water flowing through the Laodicean aqueducts was repulsive. It wasn't cold enough or fresh enough to quench a thirst. It wasn't cold or fresh enough to really be adequate drinking water, and it wasn't hot enough to be used for medicinal purposes. I think what Jesus was saying and this is just a paraphrase here. I think what Jesus is saying, I, I think if we just translated this into our terms today, I, I think this is the heart of what Jesus was getting at. I think when Jesus is talking about hot and cold, I think this is what he's saying. I think he's saying, I wish your works were soothing to my body like, the hot, like hot water or quenching to my thirst like clean cold water. Instead, the things you're doing are like the repulsive water that flows through your city. And just like it is repulsive and purposeless to you, so too the things you are doing are repulsive and purposeless to me. It's all about purpose. You know, in 1960, um, a man who was then senator, soon to become president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, once said, Efforts and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. You know what that means? That means you can try really hard and do a lot of stuff, but if you're not serving the right purpose, then what is the point? 
And here's the first thing I want you to understand. I know we've already been here a while, and I promise you it won't take me that long to get through our other points, but I want you to understand this. God uses those who pursue His purpose. God uses those who pursue His purpose. And if you will pursue the purposes of God in your life, you're going to see God at work in your life. The Laodiceans, the problem wasn't that they were doing nothing at all. The problem was that they were not doing what God had told them to do. They were not doing whatever it was that Jesus had purposed for them. And, and I believe that Jesus gave them adequate instruction and leadership. And for whatever the reason, it's not that they weren't doing something. They were not doing the right things. So God uses those who pursue His purpose. Now if you flip that, you get the second point. The second point is that the Lord is disgusted with those who refuse to pursue His purpose. Jesus says, Because your works are purposeless, they're neither hot nor cold, they are lukewarm. He says, they're repulsive to me. He says, he says don't, don't do something that I told you not to do, or don't forsake something I told you to do, to do something else, and then bring that to me. He says, I'm going to reject that. He says, I'm going to vomit that out of my mouth. That is strong language used by the Lord. You know, um, it's interesting when a lot of people feel like their lives are falling apart. It's very true that there are times when it feels like life is closing in, things are closing in on us, and some of that at times is really just because we're living in a fallen world. It's part of, of living in a world that is broken by sin. Bad things happen, absolutely. Sometimes things you don't even cause yourself, but because you're living in this sinful world, you suffer. But you know, a lot of times, a lot of times when people feel like their life is falling apart, maybe not all the time, but a lot of times, if they'll just step back and take a good hard look at their life and their heart, many times we're going to realize that the problem is that we're not living for what matters most. Listen, God's purpose for you is to live for Him. Whatever your walk of life, whatever your stage in life, whatever your circumstances, God's purpose is for you to live for Him. He has a specific reason for you. He has a specific reason that, that, that you have the friends that you have. He has given you your family for a reason. He has given you your job for a reason. He has given you a, a, a sphere of influence for a reason. To love people in the name of Christ. To encourage them. To reach them with the gospel, with the kingdom of, of Christ. To make disciples who love and walk with Christ. You see, the more and more you pursue the purposes of God in your life, the more clear those purposes become. So we see that 
Uh, we, we see, number one, God uses those who pursue His purpose. We see, number two, that the Lord is disgusted with those who refuse to pursue His purpose. But we see, number three, that pursuing God's purpose affects your relationships. See, if you're going to pursue the purposes of God, it will impact your relationships. For example, if you are a husband or a wife this morning, God has purposed for you to love one another, to love your spouse in a very special way, in a way in which Jesus loved the church, in a way in which God demonstrated His love to the church. You know what that means? That means that there will be times when, when you don't feel like loving your spouse the way that Jesus has commanded. There will be times when, when it doesn't feel like your, your spouse deserves to be loved in that way. And, and listen, that very well may be true. That, that they, maybe they don't deserve that love. But it's in those times that you choose to be imitators of Christ and to love your spouse in spite of all of those things. I'm reminded in Romans 5, 8 that tells us that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? That means that even though we don't deserve it, the love of God is available to us anyway. If you're a mom or dad with us today, Listen, God's purpose for you is not only to provide for your children, not only to protect your children, but also your purpose as a parent is to teach your children what it means to love and serve God. You're called to be a disciple maker in your home. You're called to be what I, I say is a disciple maker maker. That means that you're to teach your kids how to interact with this world absolutely and you're to impart practical wisdom into their lives absolutely. But it also means that you strategically and intentionally disciple them to live as a disciple who loves the Lord and seeks themselves to make disciples. If you're a teenager or a student in here, listen, God's purpose is for you to live for Him. God's purpose is for you to serve Him in, in, in such a way that, that you're making a Jesus impact in the lives of your friends and the people that you know and interact with and, and that as you love God and as you live for God that you leave behind a, a legacy of faith where people not only have heard that you are a believer, they've not only heard you say, yes, I love Jesus or yes, I follow Jesus, but they have seen and experienced your love for God as you have not only said that you loved Him, but you lived like you loved Him. Listen, that kind of commitment is, is going to affect your relationships. It will affect a person that is single. It's going to affect how you date and who you date. 
It's going to affect our relationships with some of our friends. It might even change for our teenagers and young adults. It might even change what you do on Friday or Saturday night. It, it might change how much sleep you get on Sunday morning. And it's going to affect your relationship, teenagers, with your mom and dad. See, there's going to be times when you'll have to humble yourselves and submit to the authority of your parents. Listen, we are to love our families and students. We are to respect and honor our parents. If you're an employee, listen, you're called to be a godly employee in the workplace. A, a person that can be counted on. A person that is known as, as honest and trustworthy. A person of integrity. A person that, that, that gives a lot of effort. See, God has called us all to be people of God who live for the glory of God in all that we do. And that's going to manifest itself differently in the lives of every person. But the more we dive into the Word of God, the more we pursue the purposes of God, the more we are going to see the power of God evident in our lives. I want to ask you this morning, are you serving the purposes of God this morning? Whose purpose are you serving? Because to serve the purpose of God, you first need to know God. You know, a lot of people, they know about God, but not, not everybody knows God personally. Do you know Him personally? Scripture teaches us that anyone can know about God, but to those who know God, those are the ones who receive Christ through faith. They come to God through faith in Christ. Scripture teaches us that through faith in Christ, you become a child of God. That, that, that he, he's not just, just merely the one who created the world, but He is the one that created you. He is not the one that, just, that, that has a purpose for the world, but He is one that has a purpose for you, that you have trusted in Him for eternal life. You see, we celebrate Jesus' death on the cross because when Jesus died on the cross, He died for the sins of the world, and whoever would call upon His name through faith would be saved by the blood of of Christ. I wonder this morning, are you following the purposes of God? Number one, are you a child of God? If you've yet to trust in Christ, you can be a child of God today. Listen, listen, if you need to trust Christ, you need to understand this. If you're watching today, because there's a lot of misconceptions about this, to come to Christ, it does not mean that you have to join a church. You don't have to join a church to come to Christ. You don't have to, be, uh, to even be baptized by immersion to, to come to Christ. Although we believe that true followers of Christ will want to be baptized in obedience to the commands of our Lord, but that in and of itself does not save you. You, you, you don't have to become a Baptist to come to Christ. All you need to do is come to Christ through faith in Him. Maybe you're here today and you need to do that. I'd, I'd love to talk with you 
I'd love for you to, to just to right now where you are, pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior and for you to begin to pursue His purposes just like that. And if you do that this morning, I, would, I really hope and pray that you would let us know by going to the response tab. Maybe you're a believer in here this morning. You're out there today. And whatever it is, God has said something to you this morning. That God is speaking directly to your heart. Listen, don't be the, like the Laodiceans. Remember, the Laodiceans, the, the problem with them was not that they weren't doing anything. The problem is that they were not doing the things that God had called them to do. Wherever you are today, be who God has called you to be and pursue His purpose. Let's pray.